0: Today, I want to talk about the door to the church. All of you have opened that door today. You've come in to be a part of God's church today, and that's a wonderful thing. You know, I was reading that in 2020, one of the top um, goals that people have nationwide is to focus on their spirituality. I love that. I hope that you're one of those people who said, I want to be more spiritual. I want to grow spiritually, And, and I'm going to tell you who the partner is for you. And Actually, I would go farther than even saying that the church is your partner in spiritual growth. I would go so far as to say it's your vehicle for spiritual growth. I think the church is more valuable and more important than most of us realize, most people realize. I believe that old phrase is true that says the local church is the hope of the world. That's why the enemy fights it so much. That's why even when I say that, somebody knows about a church that had a scandal and somebody knows about a pastor who went wrong or something like that because the enemy fights that vehicle of God's grace so greatly. But the church is not what people... Think it is. I, have to, I feel like I have to redefine clearly what the church is. You know, it was Jesus who defined us as his church. He's the one. It was never used in any religious language. In, any, in fact, it's not used in any religion anywhere in the world except Christianity. He's, Judaism doesn't use the word church, it's only Christianity. Jesus identified us as his church. Now, church is not this building. It absolutely is not this building. And we use the wrong language every week. I'm guilty of doing the same thing. Where are you going to say, well, honey, I got to run down to the church, right? Where are you going to do this morning? Hey, this morning, let's get up and let's all go to, right? And and when we use that language, it's been kind of beaten into us. But the church, that word church, that's an English derivative of the word Jesus because Jesus didn't speak in English. He didn't even speak in King James Version English. Did you know that? That's just a free little bit of advice for all those people. <laughs> never mind. I don't need to meddle. <laughs> he didn't speak in King James. Okay. He spoke in Greek and Aramaic. And the actual word he said was ekklesia. That's a Greek word that is translated in the English word church. And the word ekklesia had never been used in religion of any kind. In fact, it was a, it was a governmental word. It was used in ancient Near Eastern Greco-Roman city-state structure. It was kind of like the Senate, all the legislation, and... Uh, the uh, Supreme Court all rolled into one. It was that body of people that made laws and established the culture and Jesus just in the middle of that culture steps up and says, you know what, I'm going to build my own ecclesia. And he says, these people that are establishing culture and saying, here's how culture is going to be. Here's what life's going to be like. This is how the world's going to be. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to raise up my own group of people and we're going to establish what culture's going to be. We're going to change the world with people of faith. And so when you realize that when he called his church and he said, you could be a part of his church, what he was actually saying is you're going to influence the making of a brand new culture on earth where heaven comes to earth. Doesn't that feel a whole lot better than we built a you know an A-frame building and put stained glass windows in it? I mean, this is God saying, I'm building influencer. I'm, and, and actually, uh, one of the ways I would define the church is the people that are called out to call forth a change. Call, called out. Everybody say, I've been called out. Everybody say, I've been called out. If you're the church, you've been called out. Called out of What? Well, there's a culture, y'all. There's, a, there's just, a, just a pop culture that's just flowing through the world. And you've watched it if you're old enough to remember back. You've seen how culture's changed. And this used to be right, and it's not right anymore. This used to be okay, and it's not okay anymore. This used to be wrong. And sometimes culture gets a few things right, but mostly they get it wrong. Can I get an amen? And that's the culture. And Jesus said, you know what? I've got called out people that are called out of that stream. You're not flowing in that stream. You love those people. Those people matter, but you're just not going to flow down the stream like everybody else. You're called out to call forth a change. That's what his church is. And when I say that the church is the hope of the world, we're the ones that know what the change ought to be because heaven speaks through his church and we have the authority by God to make the change happen. I'm not talking about a nice group of people who gathers together in an A-frame building with a cross over the door and they spend an hour together. Then they go to a restaurant and tip very poorly. That's not what I'm talking about. Okay. That's not what I mean when I say church. I'm not talking about this building. I'm not talking about a denomination or even a collection of nice people. I'm talking about a group of people called out to live differently and change the world. I want you to go through that door. Mediocrity, pop culture, everything else is on the other side. You say, know what? God's called me to go through that door and change the world. And I want to talk to you about the church today how valuable and important it is. We're going to start with the words of the Apostle Paul, the church planter extraordinaire uh, that Jesus personally called and met him, threw him off of his horse, blinding light from heaven. You know that story, right? He called him in to start planting churches. He speaks to his son in the faith, Timothy, 1 Timothy 3.15, about the church. And he says, So you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church. Of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of truth. Right there, that verse tells me that God's household is the church. How many of you, by show of hands, you say, I want to be a member of God's household? Then you got to be a part of His church, right? Because it is the church. And He goes on and it says, It's also the pillar and the foundation of truth. Everything that you want to build in your life is on the truth. It's the pillar and the foundation of God's church. You want to build a good family, it starts in the church. You want to have the right relationship, it starts in the church. My preacher said, don't date anybody that's not in the church. I looked around my little church and I said, that's illegal. They're all related to me. <laughs> and, and we had a revival and the prettiest girl I'd ever seen came into the church. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. It worked out for me. You know, build the things that God wants to build at your education. The the choices that you make. When I was a youth pastor for 10 years, I told the students, make choices about what is right and wrong about relationships. Not on the date. Make those choices in the house of God. Hearing the message, being a part of worship, when the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, that's the pillar and the foundation of everything you want to build in your life. Making decisions about your business, what is right about my business. Take that business to the altar. Pray about that business. You're thinking about who you're going to marry. You know, there's a wonderful couple that's moved away, but they met each other in our church and, 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 you know, they, they met... Praying, each of them praying for who am I supposed to marry? And it was during 21 days of prayer they were praying and fasting. They met each other. They married. You know those kind of major decisions need to happen in your life with the church. I don't mean every. You know, I don't mean you're looking around the room going, "Who's it going to be?" You know, not necessarily. But I'm saying the foundation of all that is what you learn in the church, what God speaks to you, and how His presence molds and makes you. That's the, the church that Jesus said. Let's talk about the pillar and the foundation. I'm going to show you a picture of a, of a, of a building on the screen. It's just a house. If God's household is the church, this is, I just you know, saw this picture thought, that looks like they built that well. looks like it's real solid. It looks level. It looks like it's on concrete. There's pillars. There's a foundation there. looks like you could be there. I want you to imagine that whatever God's building in your life, if you build it on his truth with his church, it looks something like that, solid dependable. Let me show you another house, though, that was not built with a solid foundation. When I see this house, that says to me they didn't build the the foundation right. The whole thing's caving in. There's all kinds of problems going on there. Clearly, they didn't build the foundation right. You can look at that picture and you can think of relationships that look like that. You can think about people's financial situations, marriages that have gone in that direction. Thank you, guys. And The Bible says that the pillar and the foundation of your life ought to be the church. I'm not saying that. God's word has said that. Imagine, you know, I've never had anybody. See, people don't really think a whole lot about the foundations of of their house. You know, I've, I've, you know, we built a house a few years back and I've given a lot of people tours when they come up. I've never said, hey, grab a shovel and dig away from the edge. I want to show you this amazingly beautiful foundation. But you get that wrong and all the pretty that you do show off is caving in. Can I get an Amen you show them the windows, you show them the dimensional shingles and the awesome shiplap and all the different things that you love. You get the foundation wrong, nothing else works. And here's what's happening in America today and in good people who love God and love the church, but they've not put the church in its right place. They're building all kind of houses with education, relationship, finances, all kind of things on it, but they are neglecting the foundation. They're saying, you know, we want to spend so much money on those dimensional shingles and those pretty things on the outside and those beautiful windows that we're going to skimp on the foundation. We're not going to put any time or any money in the foundation. We're going to put all our time and money on all the pretty things on the outside. And if you know anything, you know, you got a few years before that whole thing crumbles to the ground. that is why God said the household of God, the church is the foundation and the pillar of your life. And you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to talk to you about how valuable it is. How important it is that you put it in its right place. I know it's valuable to you. I know that you you value it. You're here. You're logged on. You're watching. You, you're listening. But I want to make sure you realize it's far more valuable than the other things that you would decorate your life with. There are things you decorate your life with, and there are things you build your life on. And God's Word says His church is the thing you build your life on. Can I get an amen? amen. Here's what I wanted you to do. Write these th- notes down if you're following along with me. The first thing to do, believe in the church. Make up your mind. I'm gonna believe. Not everybody believes in it, but my whole life I've been guided by the church and it has blessed my socks off. Now I didn't grow up in a pastor's home. You know, I grew up in a maintenance man's home, okay? But we were faithful and we knew what the church could speak to us and do. Here's the reasons. Here are the reasons why I believe in the church. If you're taking notes, write these down. Because number one, the church is stronger than hell. Can I get an amen? amen? Jesus said it was. Watch this in Matthew 16. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man, who, that Jesus is? And they replied, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. These are all dead men. They said, well, maybe he's been, those men have been raised back to life. And then verse 15, but what about you, Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He spoke up. You see, Christ is not Jesus' last name. You know that, right? It's his title. That means he is the son. There are a lot of people named Jesus back in those days, Yeshua, but he was the one who was the Christ. And then in verse 18, he says, Jesus says, and I say to you that you are Peter, And upon this rock, I'll build my church. There's that word, first time church is used. My church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He's standing in the courtyard and there's all these civic leaders over here deciding what's right and wrong and what culture would be. And Jesus said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to build my own ecclesia. That's the ecclesia that says what Rome's going to do. I'm going to build an ecclesia and it's going to tell you what the whole world's going to do for all mankind. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, a lot of people have gotten confused about what this means. Peter, he says, you are Peter, Petros. And upon this rock, Petra, I'm I'm giving you the Greek words. Uh, You're Petros, and upon this Petra, I'll build my church. And some people say, well, man, he's building his church on Peter. In fact, the Catholic Church will tell you that to this day, that Peter was the first pope. And they just have all these. And and now the the, the Pope today, the church is built on the Pope today. Let me tell you, the church was not built on Peter. It's not built on the Pope today. It's not ever been built on any man at all. The church is built on Jesus Christ and him crucified. Peter knew it. Peter recognized it. He said, I know who you are. Man, you're not just a good teacher. You're not some military zealot who's going to overthrow Rome. You're the Christ. And he said, you know what? You're Petros, which means a pebble. And upon this Petra, which means a giant rock, I'll build my church. What he was saying was, Peter, you're a little guy who said a really big thing, and I'm going to build my church on that really big thing. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, if the church is the foundation and the pillar of life, and if the church is the household of God, and if the gates of hell, let me tell you this, what are gates? The gates of hell, and you got to know the culture that Jesus was speaking in. We think about gates as defensive, right? They're holding back something. Actually, the gates uh, were, all those ancient cities were surrounded by walls, and the gate was the way in and out. And because that's where the enemy might attack, they put all the arsenal at the gates. In fact, that's where City Hall went. All of the authority, the government, all the leading people in the city would have offices there at the gates, and all of the military would be associated right there. So gates literally meant authority, and it meant strength and offensive weaponry. And so Jesus said, let me tell you something, when all of hell's authority, and when all of hell's army, and all of hell's power amasses against you, if you're a part of my church, the very gates of hell will not prevail against you. Now, I don't know about you, but here's all I can think about the church. I want in I mean there's going to come a time in your life hell puts a scheme together it has a plan the apostle paul talked about that he said we're not ignorant of satan's schemes and devices you know that you ever had a day or a week or even a month where you're just hit left and right coming and going getting up and laying down and you go man this cannot be a coincidence it's not coincidence it's coordination The enemy has coordinated his attack against you. He's got schemes. He's got a city hall where he maps out how to take your family down. And then when he maps it all out, he's got an army of demons to to enact that plan on your life. Let me tell you, that's going to happen to all of us. Wave your hand if it ever happened to you. Come on. It's ever happened. Yeah, you know it. Well, Jesus said this. Listen, when all of the authority and all the schemes and all of the armies of hell come against you, there is one promise that you can stand on. The gates of hell will not prevail against my church. That's where I want my family. That's where I want a seat at that table. Man, they may have it too hot in there on Sunday or too cold on Sunday. They shine the light right in my face. They didn't sing the song I wanted to hear. The guy wore a hat on the stage. Somebody got tattoos on his arm when he was, oh, my God, all the things they're going to do. I tell you what's happening. The enemy's got an assault aimed at your family. You better hush up about things that don't matter and get in the middle of God's will because the gates of hell will not prevail against you. There are things that matter and there are things that really don't matter. I want to major on the things that matter and I want to his family. Now here's the another reason why I believe in the church. If you're taking notes, here's the second reason because Jesus is 100% committed to his church. He's not committed to anything or anybody else. Like he's committed to the church. Now I'm about to Mess up your theology right here. Just get ready. This is definitely a toe-stepping-on sermon today. I don't do it every week, but today you came on the right day. Elbow your neighbor and say, you're going to need all this. <laughs> you are. This is going to be good stuff. I'm going to debunk the myth that I, me and Jesus got our own little good thing going. He's my personal Savior. He's just me and Jesus. He's my personal Savior. There's actually not one Bible verse that suggests that. He's our savior. In fact, here's what the Bible says. You know, the Bible says that Jesus is this book made flesh. So when you read anything out of this book, you are reading Jesus. In Ephesians chapter five, verse 25, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, for the church. You know why I want to be a part of the church? That's who Jesus died for. Well, I'm just going to get on a hill, me and a Jesus, can I be on a mountainside worshiping and I can love Jesus and I can be the church all by myself? You actually can't unless you have a multiple personality disorder. <laughs> there got to be multiple ones of us because the church is the ones called out to change the world. And Jesus makes it that way. Because he likes for you to have to submit, he likes for you to have to learn how to get along. He likes for you. To, see, most people that just want to do their own thing, me and Jesus will do our own thing. They just—they're prideful and they won't be humble enough to get along with weird people. There are. Can we just say it out loud? There are weird people in the house of God. And and and, and if you don't feel like there's any weird people, you're the weird person. That's. <laughs> I got to be honest with you and. And you know what? If you think the other guy's the weird person, he might think you're the weird person. And God says, you got to get along. Everybody's got to get along, and that's my church. And together, all that uniqueness and all that individuality will come together and change the world together. you got to get along. So first thing you got to do is believe in the church. Here's the second thing you have to do. It's even harder. If you believe in the church, number two, got to submit to the church. I'm going to make this quick and painful, just like pulling off a Band-Aid, Okay? Submission has never been fun. It's never been easy. Nobody's ever liked it. I think today people like it even less. We're a more selfish culture than we used to be. And so we don't want to submit. We don't want to let anybody else have their way. But here's what the Bible says. Here's God's way. Hebrews 13 and 17, speaking to the church. He says, obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? Because they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Who are they giving an account to? Church leaders are going to give an account for you to whom? To God. Let that sink in just for a minute. Now, if I were preaching to pastors, I'd talk a lot about that. But I'm going to move past that. And he says, let them do this with joy and not with grief. Now, I've been doing this for a really long time, and many, many people have helped me do that with joy. And a few have helped me do that with grief. They don't come to this service. That's none of y'all. For this would be unprofitable to you. Now, I totally get that there are some church leaders that are not worthy of your submission. Then you need to be in a different church, okay? If, that's, if you're at a church and you can say, I couldn't listen to that leadership, I couldn't submit to that leadership, you're in the wrong place. A lot of people, when they see bad leadership in a church or a bad experience in a church, they just quit church. There's millions of them right now who love God and they won't go to a church. Well, I had a bad experience. That's like saying I went to a restaurant and they served a bad meal and I'm never going to eat again. No, you got back up and you ate again, right? And in the same way, you have to find the the leadership that God has for you. Now, Now, the Bible says that you're to listen to the teaching of the leadership of your church and to submit to it. Now, submission does not mean to commit until they do something you don't like. That's not submission at all. It means basically as long as it's biblical, we're to go along with it. As long as it is within the bounds, and that, that, that's, your, that's what the Bible just said for you to do. And I need somebody to give me a little encouragement and say amen to that. And we just all read that together, okay? That's your part of that scripture. Now, my part of that scripture is I watch for your souls. That's what the scripture says. I'm to watch for your souls. I'm to carry a burden on my shoulder for how you live your life. Are you walking as, as a disciple? And that matters to me. I take that personally, that responsibility very personally to me. If I look out at our congregation and I say, we don't pray enough, what that means is I don't pray enough. I've not led us to value prayer enough. If I say, we're not generous enough, what that means is I haven't challenged you and inspired you to be generous. And I haven't led the way by me personally being generous. If I say we don't serve the community well enough, that means I haven't done a good enough job. You ever look and, and see that, that our leadership team are doing stuff in the community and putting it out on Facebook? It's not because we want you to go, oh, y'all are so good at helping people. We're wanting you to go, hey, I think I'll get up and help people. Because we watch for your souls. It's our calling to inspire and lead. And so when you say, yes, I believe in this thing called the church, and Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail, the assault of hell won't be successful against the church. I want to be a part of that church. Here's what it looks like to be a part of that church, to submit to that church, to follow the leadership and the direction of that church, and to get on board with that church. Yes, yeah, study the Scriptures for yourself. Test the Scriptures, to, 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 to the, the teacher of the Scripture, to see if it's right. And if it's right, man, we jump on board. We believe in the church. We submit to the church. And then lastly, we have to commit to the church. Write that down. Commit to the church, not in and out. Listen, there's a difference when a person is committed to the church as opposed to just kind of being a fan of the church. And the difference is really in your life. It, 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 the difference is the results of, of how your life turns out and how God blesses your family. There's a lot of scripture about that also in Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, brothers. Since we have confidence to enter in the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, since Jesus died for us and we can come together into his presence, here's what we're to do. Verse 22, let us, everybody say, draw near. Draw near. Let us draw near to God with sincere hearts and full assurance of faith. That's the first thing you ought to do. What does it look like to be committed to the church? Here's the first thing. We're drawing near. We're doing everything we can to just draw near to him. Get close to him. Don't work around the edges. Jump right into the middle. Now, if you want to write, there's four more things right out to the side of of draw near. You might write this down. And, and, And here's what we do. Here's how we draw near. First of all, we come together. Everybody say, come together. Get your family together and say, man, we're coming together for worship. Man, get up together, get in the car together, drive together, sit together, go to lunch together, talk about what did you learn today? What did God say to you? Did you have any meaningful connections in the lobby? Did you pray with somebody? I mean, do it all together. Secondly, come often. Come together and come often. I'm going to answer a very important question. How often, pastor, should I have my family in church? It's a real simple, look at me. Here's how often, every time. It's rare that I stop talking, and nobody says, "Amen." <laughs> Every time. Amen. Just, just make up your mind. that's what we're gonna, this is who we are. We can't live our life, man, I was thinking so much. The deeper I get into God's word, and the more I uh, just grow in Him, His word becomes more real to me. You know what? One of the major uh, pitfalls of our life is, is, is when we violate Sabbath. The reason men <laughs> cheat on their wives is we violate Sabbath. It really is not about sex. It, it never has been. It's about violating Sabbath. Because you get so... See, God knew you can't look at the same thing, same day, same life, same job, same challenge, every day, same old, same old, same old, and do it seven days a week. You just can't do it. And what happens is, I've talked to, so, I've talked to dozens of men who, 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 who violated their marital vows, And and so many of them, when you really boil down to it, it wasn't about the woman or it wasn't about sex. It was about they were so worn down that this provided an outlet. This just gave them something different going on in their life. And you know what it is? God knew it. God knew how men and women would be built. He knew how necessary it was for you to press pause on everything else going on in your life. And in that one day every week to stop everything else, whatever you're doing six days a week with your work and with your family, stop doing all that on one day and just stare right into the face of God. For one day, let it all be about worship, and it reboots your life. It rebuilds you up. It fills the empty parts in your life so that you don't go somewhere else trying to fill them. Listen to me. God knew what he was talking about when he said, keep the Sabbath day holy. Press pause. Stop everything else you're doing and get in the presence of God. Come together. Come often. Thirdly, come early. Yeah, come early. This is the part where you, d- you just roll your toes up while I stomp around in the room, okay? Come early, because some of you, I love y'all so much, you sweep in here after the first song is over, and you're, you're, right now you're thinking about getting out already. All right, chill out and wait, okay? Come early, get around people, get to know people. Well, some people I don't like. Well, talk to the other one, Okay. <laughs> Just find somebody else and just talk to people. Somebody's going to have something in common. You're going to develop a friendship. It's going to be amazing if you spend a little time with people. Don't in and out like that. And then lastly, come prepared. I said come together, come often, come early, and come prepared. Man, plan on something happening today. Plan on something happening. God's going to speak to me today. Man, I'm going, to be, I'm going to be inspired today. I'm going to be challenged today. I'm going to serve today. Some of you brighten my day in the way you serve. I was talking to a lady not long ago who had some sickness and surgery, and she talked about the recovery. I asked her about it. She said the big, worst part about the whole thing was not being able to greet on Sunday at Daystar. She said, that's my thing. I live for it the other six days to stand in that front door and smile at people. Man, let me tell you, there's something that fills you when you get to a place of giving, where you regularly give. Yeah, and I'm talking about giving financially too. I mean, everything God has given you is meant to go through you, not to you everything, every single thing. You are a river. You're not a reservoir. You're not to be the guy who ho- hoards it all. And if you've got talent, find a way to give it away for God. If you've got time, find a way to give it away for God. If you've got money, give some away to God. Make sure that it, listen, when you get to that place, generosity is like an infection. It starts to infect you and you just want more and more of it. I want to find a way to encourage somebody that's discouraged. I want to find a way. I want to pull over and change a tire to the you know, single mom that's on the side of the road with three screaming kids. there's nothing that fills you more. I want to be more generous. 2020, my wife and me at the beginning of the move journey, we set goals. That we're going to be more generous in 2020 than we've ever been in our lives. And it's going to be a one-year goal because next year we're going to break that record and be more generous. And the year after that and the year after that because once it infects you, it, it builds you. See, you weren't built to be an in-and-out kind of believer. You were built to come in and be a committed believer. Here's that verse. goes on in verse 23. And it says, let us hold, and the next word is one of my favorite Bible words. Let us hold unswervingly. I want you to find a way to use that word in a sentence this week. Husband, quick drive. I want you to drive unswervingly today, okay? <laughs> let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For He has promised to be faithful. Write this down. Don't swerve. Don't swerve. Some of you drive your faith journey with God like some people drive their car. You know, I don't know if they're going faster over and I'm over there. You know, and it seems like they're getting better time over and I'm over there. You're that person, right? And, 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 you know, they, they, they didn't do the song the way I wanted it. I'm over there. And the preacher said something today. He said, I'm supposed to be in church every week. I'll show him, and I'm swerving over there. You, you know what? God says, quit swerving. Get committed. Be rock solid. Be a count on person. Hold fast to what God. Hey, he's got a plan for your life, but he's not going to chase you down to give it to you. You ought to be chasing him. And then he said, and let us, verse 24, consider how we may spur one another on. Tell somebody, you can do it. Spur them on toward love and good deeds. And let us not give up meeting together. See, that's what we have called church. I'm going to go to church. What they're calling it is meeting together. As some are in the habit of doing. Don't give it up. But let us encourage one another. So write that down. Encourage someone. I was at Dollar General not long ago. Maybe it's been over a year. It's been a little while. But anyways, and I was, I was kind of hustling through there like I do, and I, I saw somebody across the room that I knew, and he, I think he, I thought he was from our church. Then I went to check out, and the cashier, he didn't talk a whole lot, so I, I talked to him and uh, checked out and said goodbye, walked out. And my, our church member came in next. And I was, of course, I didn't know all this was happening. I, I, I was gone. And the cashier said, well, you know who that guy was, don't you? That's the preacher at Daystar, that big church. He said, I bet all the money that comes in there, he keeps all of it. I didn't know he was saying that kind of stuff. And I got later, later on, I got a message on Facebook Messenger. And the guy told me, hey, I go to the church. I saw you in there. That guy said all this stuff about you. And he said, I want you to know I straightened him out from the top to the bottom. And he said, he went right, he kept right and said, and furthermore, I don't even know how much they give you, but I hope they give you twice as much because you're doing a great job. And I sent him an application to become an elder at the church. It's <laughs> kind of thinking we need around here, young man. No, he encouraged me. Everybody needs to be encouraged, right? You know, and it occurred to me that some people treat Daystar like Dollar General like I treat Dollar General. You know how I go to Dollar General? It's fast and it's cheap. That's why I go to Dollar General. Get in there. It's not a, you know, 50 lanes. You got to go down and find your stuff. You don't have to be in there a whole lot and it doesn't cost a lot of money. It's fast and it's cheap. A lot of people treat their church experience like that. I'm going to get in here. It's not going to cost me a whole lot. I'm going to get out of here. You weren't built that way. God built you. The same God who built church built you to be the church. And instead of thinking about, listen to this carefully, I don't want your church experience to be fast and cheap. Listen, I want it to be slow and costly. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for agreeing with that. Take your time, be deliberate and see not how little you can get by with, but how much you can invest. I started doing that when I was just a kid, when I really met the Lord as a teenager. And it just, it, 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 I just kept giving more until I gave my whole life to it. And it's been the best thing I ever did. I don't know what that looks like for you, but the more you say, this is, this is, this is God speaking to me, it's, it's me becoming who God's called me to be, you'll get more back. You will never outgive God. I, I, that is so true. The more you shovel in, your life and resources into his presence. God's got a bigger shovel and he'll shovel more back into your life. You give and he'll get back to you every single time. I don't really have time to get into this last verse, but in your notes, I gave you Ezekiel, I think it's 47, verses one through six. Let me just tell you what happens there. The prophet Ezekiel says, I've got a vision And, and out of the presence of God under the door of the temple came a river of God's presence and when it first started I was ankle deep in it and then as it kept flowing I, I went further and I became knee deep in it and that is as the spirit and the river of God kept flowing he said I stepped farther and I became waist deep but he wasn't satisfied with that he said I wasn't satisfied until I stepped out even further and I realized this water was a river and I was over my head He's giving an analogy of how much of God's presence you want in your life. And I see that lived out every day in church members. Some of us, we want to just, you know, this is the river of this church. And, I'm you know, I'm just going to try it out. You know, to be ankle deep, you don't have to be this far from the bank, right? You can get out as quickly as you want. You just get right there and you step in and you go, wow, it's not what I thought it was going to be. It's not what the cashier at the Dollar General told me it was. <laughs> it's pretty cool in here. I like this. This feels really good. And, 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 and then it's, maybe it starts getting a little faster, and you're like, wait a minute. I, I, I can still get one foot on the bank. I'm okay. And then you go a little farther, and you, you want to go knee deep. So you get a little farther. You're still close enough to the bank to get out, but you get on in there. And then at knee deep, man, you can really feel The river moving. You you feel like, man, this is something that my family needs. This is real. As often as we can, this is what we're going to do. We're not going to really go all in. I can still see the bank; it's right there. But we're going to go knee deep. The prophet said, "You're never going to be satisfied there." And he said, "The next step is waist deep." Now, if you've ever been in a raging river, I have. You get waist deep; it's dangerous. Because it could slip out from under you. Ever been to the Okoe River up in Tennessee where the Olympic kayaking took place? You get about waist deep, say goodbye to your friends, you know, because it could take you at any minute. But the, this is people who go, man, I'm, on, I'm down with this. Let's do it. Let's go to Freedom Group. Let's go to Freedom Conference. Let's go to Night of Worship. Let's get in prayer and fasting. Man, I'm, I'm getting out there. I'm, I'm getting out there with the crazy folks, man. Let's, let's let the river go. Let's do this. The prophet said, that's good, but there's another place I really want you over your head. When you get in the Okoe River over your head, do you know where you go? No, you don't. know where you, you go wherever the river wants you to go. I've been there out of the boat and boom, you just go where it wants you to go. And that's what the prophet of God, ancient text 3,000 years ago was telling us, this is where God wants you. There's a bank, and you can still see people there, but you couldn't get to them if you wanted to, man, because you are in over your head. And if you keep reading, not just one through six, but you keep reading in that chapter, it'll eventually tell you that everywhere the water touch brings life. You know what? I don't want to pile all my money and my job and my kids and my decisions and my marriage Keep it safely dry, and then I'm going to kind of inch out into the water, you know. I love this Jesus. I love this Daystar Church, but I don't want him to mess up my plans and my dreams. You know what? Everything the water touches lives. I want to gather up my family and my kids and my money and my job and my plans and my 401K, and I want to find the deepest side of that water and jump in with everything I've got because everything that gets wet in the presence of God gets blessed by the Spirit of God. Come on, somebody. That's what I wish you would do. I wish you'd quit playing it safe. I wish you'd stop holding everything back. I wish you'd just say, you know what? If, if, if generosity is where it's at, I'm going to be generous with my business. If honesty is where it's at, all my business dealings are going to be honest. I'm not just going to do a Sunday thing. Sunday, Sunday thing is, is ankle deep. Let's be honest. It's you jump in the water for one day, you get right back on the bank and do what you want to. God says, get in over your head let it change everything about you. I'm praying for you. I'm praying that I have infected you with an idea that just won't be cured. Every day you'll be saying, how can I go deeper? How can I take more of my family, more of my life, my education? Guys, young people, make a decision. Who am I going to date? Take that dating decision deep into the water of God. Make that decision in the presence of God. Where am I going to go to college? Jump in the middle of God's presence. Pray about it fast. I mean, just just close to the people of God before you make that decision. Before you buy a house or a car, go deep.